As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm really excited to have you with us today, Madeline. Welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to be here, Megan. It's always a fun time when we get to chat. Uh, I just love, you like an entrepreneurial brain buddy for me. Like I just love jumping in and chit-chatting about business stuff with you because I don't know, there's some synchronicity there for sure. I love that you just called me a brain buddy. (laughs) I love that terminology. I feel the same way too. Um, you know, you and I have not known each other very long, but we hit it off really, really quickly, which is also something that's not always easy to do in the online world. I mean, you just don't know what people's intentions are or what their real level of expertise is. And we're all getting introduced to people all the time. But when you can have the kind of conversation that you and I had, and we just really connected on so many philosophies and the way that we approach business, the way we think about business. Um, it's just been really tremendous to get to know you even more over the last couple of weeks and months. So I'm glad I'm glad we could have you here with us. Yeah, it's I'm really looking forward to this. Sweet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you for a couple of minutes so that you can share with all of our listeners a little bit more about you and your background, your history. Uh, and how you even got into the business that you're in. I know you've been an entrepreneur for a very long time, which I think is incredibly valuable because you come with so much wisdom. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a few minutes. Yeah, I literally feel like entrepreneurship is my art form. So I'm married to a musician. And, you know, obviously playing guitar is like his thing. But for me, being an entrepreneur is my thing. It's like my creative outlet. It's my passion. I just love, love an entrepreneur. And I really feel like I came into the world as an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm I'm the girl that put up a tent in my parents' backyard on the summers and went and bought bags of candy, opened the bags up and sold the candy itemized to the kids in, in the yard, you know, like kind of that that was like my childhood. And so I always had that entrepreneurial mindset and started working. My my dad had his own business. So I started working really early on in small business, helping him out on my school vacations and such. So no surprise that when I moved to the U.S. and very shortly um, after I got started in a career, a lot what happened was that all these people would come to me and ask me to do what I had done for my employer for their business. And so my business grew out of this request of helping them being successful. And at the time, I was doing insurance billing for chiropractors. It sounds so incredibly boring, right? But that was kind of like my first entrepreneurial journey. And I was 29 years old when I started that business. And it grew very rapidly. And I became a practice management consultant. I, I ran teams. I scaled alternative healthcare practitioners practices all over the San Francisco's Bay Area and then all over the U.S. into the seven and eight and nine figure businesses and just loved, got really 
fell in love with running teams and and just looking at what makes a business tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got really burnt out, like so many of us do. And I was just hustling really hard, working too much. And I didn't have a lot of know-how about how to build a business in some ways. Uh, I just knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. And so in the end, it was mostly just throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what was going to stick and didn't have a lot of strategy behind it, how I built the business. And so when I decided I wanted out because I was too burnt out, I decided I wanted to sell the business I had. And so I contacted a broker and he was like, well, you know, uh, this is what a new owner is going to is going to be looking for. They're going to be looking for, can they run this business successfully without you? And at the time... You know, I was ingrained in every little minute detail of that business, and there was no way somebody could just step step in and run it. As a matter of fact, at that time, I had been trying to work myself out of a job for a good decade, you know, but that time. And so when I heard him say that, my heart kind of sank, and I was like, holy moly, how am I going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And I had in mind what I wanted to make when I sold that business, and he gave me like a third of that price. So I went to work and I totally transformed that business. And I think that that's usually when I work best, my back against the wall, trying to create the next thing. And and I had a problem in front of me that I had to fix. And so I grew that business up to, there was a, at the time was a brick and mortar business. And I grew it up to like 65% profit margin. And I had an eight hour work week by the time I sold it. And I sold it about a year later for, I did get the price that I wanted. So I tripled the sales price that a business broker um, had given me. And we ended up selling it for the highest multiplier he had ever sold a business for in, in his whole career. Wow. And I ended up giving the full sales price upfront, which is also unheard of. And um, and also was able that the business owner who bought it had never worked, had never had his own business Never worked a day in that business. He had a full-time job working somewhere else. And my team still to this day, seven years later, is still there running that business. And when we sold it, about 75% of my clients have been with us for seven years. And uh, we didn't tell any of our clients that we sold it for six months because I didn't want to upset anybody and people anticipating disaster because I was leaving. And so we didn't tell anybody. And six months later, when we did the phone calls to our clients and let them know there was a new owner, they were like, what? And then they were like, oh, okay. And it was like very neutral because everything has been running really well since I left Mm -hmm. because the team was still running it and the systems were still there running it. And, And then we sailed off into the sunset, my husband and I, and chased our favorite bands across the country two years in a trailer and trout and just had a blast uh, with our two pugs until we kind of slid in on a banana peel here in Austin. We invested in some property here. And so it was time to get off the road. We were like, well, we do own property in Austin. Maybe we'll go there. And so we ended up here. And um, and of course, I, I built another business. I couldn't help yeah. myself. Yeah. That's, I love your story so much. I have 80,000 questions for you. <laughs> You know, so many of our listeners have an expert business or information-based business, coaching business, whatever we want to call it these days online. And 
many of them, myself included, built a personal brand. I mean, it's how we became successful either quickly or early on in the business. And one of the things that I hear a lot of entrepreneurs saying is, I have a hard time scaling because all my clients want me. They want access to me. And your proof that you can actually grow a business with the intention of selling it. Not that you were thinking of selling it at first, but I'm wondering if you could speak some truth into listeners who have built a personal brand. I think most people building a personal brand, it's not even crossing their mind to grow the business for the purpose of selling it, let alone structuring it and creating value around it such that it could be sold one day in the future or else you... I mean, what happens at the end, Madeline, it's like you either quit and like the business goes nowhere. Like it literally just is toast. It's like dust the day that you decide to leave it, unless you're going to pass it down to someone or sell it. So, you know, for, for anyone building a personal brand who has built a successful personal brand, how might they start shifting the way they're thinking about their business so that it can be sellable in the future if they ever wanted to? Yeah, it's I love that question. I mean, this is one of my pet peeves is actually watching my a lot of our colleagues, especially in the online world, online world, literally walking away from businesses. I mean, I've seen so many people walking away from businesses a year because they wanted to do something different and they didn't know how to sell it. They didn't know how to position the business or build the assets into it. I've seen some of the industry leaders who had making over $10 million a year in their business literally close it down because the partnership went sour and selling off like pieces of it, not knowing how to package this and sell it. And this is this just breaks my heart when I see this. I'm always like, oh my God, I wish they had called me. I would have helped them. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have fi- helped them figure out how you really do that. And it's very similar to when you are looking to scale your business. So if you really want to scale your business, really what it comes down to is how do you walk, how, how do you work yourself out of a job? You know, how do you structure your business in such a way that it can grow and flourish and do really well without you tending to it every single day? Um, and it really, it comes down to something so boring and so not sexy at all, and it's standard operational procedures. So I know that sounds so incredibly boring, but it's the sexiest thing on the planet if you know what it actually does for you. And if you think about it this way, if you were to buy a franchise, if you're going to go out and buy a McDonald's or you buy the joint or any of these franchise companies the one thing that you actually buy, the only asset that they're selling you are the SOPs, the standard operational procedures, how they do what they do and why it works. That is the thing that's actually the only asset that you can turn around and sell to somebody else. Because that is the only thing that's going to show them that the business is reproducible and somebody else other than you can run it and get the same results that you do. Now that gets... You know, to create that level of detail, because we talk about this all the time, everybody knows you have to have systems in your business. But most of the time, when I look at, when I step in and we look at people's SOPs in their businesses, they're very surface level. And most of them are check marks or checklists at the best. They don't necessarily have step-by-step 
you know, procedures for everything. If they have step-by-step procedures, it's things like, you know, how, how to post your social media, but it's not, how do you get the results for your clients? Like, how do you write an SOP for that? Mm-hmm. So it gets really into the granular and really thinking through how do you how do you create the magic that you do in your business? And I think that this is why we really geek out, Megan, because like obviously this is what you spend so much time really looking at as well from this client perspective mm-hmm. yeah, of yeah. really assessing, you know, how is the client experience and you breaking down into minute detail of the experiences. And it's very similar. We do the same with like, how do you deliver the results that you really want for people? How do you go about doing that? And it's teaching people not just how to do something, but really how to think about something. Yeah. And it can be really tedious work too. I mean, you and I both go into the behind the scenes and the back end of someone's business. We we're looking at, at different things when we're back there, obviously, but it's not a fast project. It's not an overnight project. And I mean, there's a build out of all that. And then there's also the management of that too. But like you said, it is sexy. It is very sexy because it, it is what gives you your life back, you know? So, okay. You were talking about selling your own business. And something that I, I heard you share was when you originally attempted to sell it, the person you were going to sell it to offered you a third of what you wanted. But then you ended up getting what you asked for, which was triple the price of what you originally asked for. And I imagine that wasn't like a decade in between. It was probably just a couple of short years. And you used the word valuable. You went back and you made your business that much more valuable. And I'm imagining some of our listeners are like, how the heck did you go from only getting offered a third of what you wanted to then getting triple what you originally asked for. So when you say you made it more valuable, what actually did make your business at the time more valuable? Yeah, a couple of things. One, when you're selling a business, they're looking at what is the profit of that business. So if you don't have a profit that somebody else, so if I'm a business, I'm literally buying the profit. So if I'm paying a million dollars for your business, what I'm looking at, how long of me owning and running your business, am I going to make back that investment? That is what every person who is out buying businesses is looking for. The quicker they can make back that money, the quicker they know it's worth that money, right? They can fork out that, that, that cash. And so it's all based on profit margin and they call it the multiples. And depending on the business, you get different numbers of multiples. So I got 3.5 multiples of the profit margin for when I sold my business, which is very high. And the reason the broker was able to price it at that high of a multiple, which he said was the highest multiple he ever sold a business for in his career was because it was so hands-off. So because I was able to really figure out how to work myself out of a job of not being ingrained in the day-to-day of my business and really have my business being run by the team that I left behind, they didn't need me to be successful. And it was very clear I could prove that with the numbers and the systems and procedures and the team that I had in place, that the new owner had a lot of confidence that they could run that, make the money that I had been making on that on the books and the broker was able to make that, you know, sales proposition. So it really comes down to, you 
you know, how do you work yourself out of a job where you are not the CEO ingrained managing the things, running the things, are depending, growth is not dependent on you. Your team knows what to do without coming to you every five minutes asking for help or having questions or being lost. And, you know, that the business is literally run without you. Yeah. It's like a lot of business owners, you know, I think for many of us, when we originally leave whatever job we had before, if we had a job before, which is probably the majority of entrepreneurs left a job so they can create more freedom. I think a lot of entrepreneurs just turn around and create a job for themselves. And they create a job working 50, 60, 80 hours a week. And so much of what you're talking about is a mindset first. It's a way of thinking differently first. And I imagine that a lot of folks have the question, what on earth am I going to do with my time if I don't have to be so heavily involved? And I, you know, I think that's one of the things that really gets in the way of people putting the right systems and the right people and processes in place because they truly don't know what else they would do because their identity is so hooked into all the doing. And it's almost as if, you know, I've done this in the past as well. You really do think you are your business, but your business is a completely separate entity. It's not you. Yeah. I'm so glad you're speaking that. I definitely had a moment of that because I was working 60, 70 hours a week. I mean, I was the typical CEO that at the end of the weekend, I planked myself on the, on the sofa you know, and like got the clicker and don't talk to me. I made all my decisions during the week and I don't want to be bothered because very soon I'm going to have to start this whole race over again Mm -hmm. kind of feeling, you know? And, and so you're absolutely right. When I did work myself out of a job, which happened within six months after I talked to the broker the first time we were able to put it on, on the market and then we sold it. I think it took another three months before we haven't had the offer. I got several offers um, but before I actually accepted an offer, because I wanted an offer that was going to maintain the business, take care of my team and my clients, not just absorb the business into their business. But before we did that, you know, and so I was sitting there and I had a feeling like, holy moly, what do I do with my time now? Like I'm working, I literally went from 60, 65 to eight hours a week. And and sitting there and looking at that, and it was a little nerve-wracking. Now, now, of course, I've learned over the years that us visionary CEOs, we need spaciousness. We need spaciousness to be more creative and actually have our brilliance really flourish. Hmm. My best ideas, my best insights, I solve the biggest problems in my business when I'm not sitting at my desk, when I'm off hanging out on a beach in Hawaii, drinking pina coladas, or, you know, I'm I'm at a really awesome music festival with friends and we have, and we're just not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the download starts coming. And, you know, that's when I usually get my biggest inspiration is when I'm unplugged and flow in the flow of life, really engaging. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. so that's a really big misconception that we create more work by working harder. So I love that we are using words like flow and creativity in the same conversation where we're talking about systems and structures. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, like you just said, we're visionaries. We need to have the spaciousness. We want to be in flow. Our best, most creative, imaginative ideas and solutions come when we're not sitting here behind the computer. But yet at the same time, 
What allows us to do that is exactly what you're offering entrepreneurs. It is the systems and the operations and the processes. So can you speak to like, how does that more structure actually afford you the opportunity to be more in flow, to have more spaciousness and creativity? What would you say to someone who's really in resistance to that and like fighting the idea of that? Yeah, so... My secret weapon is structure because structure equals freedom in my world. So the more structure I have, it allows me to delegate. So if you ever hired somebody and you felt like they just not able to do the job and you ended up having to take it back, I would promise you 99% of the time is because you didn't actually break it down enough in a very structured way that somebody else could follow your decision-making process and come to the same conclusions that you will. And because of you haven't been able to break it down like that, a lot of the things in your business is not able to be delegated. And because you can't delegate in them, you are constantly stuck working in the middle of your business and tending to all the details. And that makes you just being shackled to your business. It doesn't create the spaciousness or the freedom. So structure, the systems, the right people in the right seats, all of that unsexy stuff, it's really just a means to get you to really tap into your creativity, your visionary mindset, to really be able to create the kind of legacy that you know that you're here to make and allow you to come up with bigger and better ways to create impact. Because one thing that I notice when I sit down with entrepreneurs, oftentimes by the time they come to me, they are washed off, you know, washed up dish rags. Yeah. Right. They've been working their asses off in their business for a really long time, trying to plug the holes. And sometimes, right, they're running really fast and the ball still drop, right? They're still a mess to be cleaned up. And they come to me and I ask them, well, what do you want? And I said, well, you know, if I just make $5,000 more, if I just make $10,000 more, everything would be better, right? They have this increment. If we just do this one thing, everything will be better if I just have this one thing. And they only think incrementally. That's because they've been so stuck into doing that they lost sight of the actual vision that start, that helped them start the business. And without creating that spaciousness that the systems and operations and the right team can do for them, they'll never get their vision back. But once they do, what starts happening as we implement in these things and these visionaries just starts getting plugged into their vision again. Like I literally just had one of my clients that we just finished a project for in September. She just commented on one of my Instagram posts just the other day. And she goes, oh my God, like I just woke up with this amazing download about how we're going to be able to 10X the business and create so much more value for our clients. And I just want to let you know, this would have never happened if we hadn't worked with you. Because you have allowed us, the team that you put in place, the system you put in place have allowed us to like really step into our visionary role. And that's really what it's about. Is there anything that the visionary or the CEO can't delegate? Well, it's only one thing that they can't delegate. And that is creating the vision. Hmm. And that is the only thing as a visionary that you cannot delegate is creating the vision. And that's why you should guard that like the gold that it is. See, we give up that gold to chase after the other things. And it actually puts our whole 
that gold turns into silver and then nickel yeah. because we focus on the wrong things. That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. So the goal really for the entrepreneur is to figure out how can I be in visionary creative mode more often? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to break up business. Not that this is like to a science, but I'm going to break business into like three phases, right? Let's just say like $0 to 250. I'm doing it to make this super simple. $0 to 250, right? It's all about like making the money, getting the cash flow, getting your feet wet, figuring all the things out, right? Like that's where you're literally doing all the things. Then we've got like 250 to a million. And then let's say there's a category like 1 million to 10 million, right? Just for ease of like having three categories. As it relates to what you do for companies, what should each one of those three business owners in those categories be thinking about? When would someone be bringing someone like you in? And to what degree does that person need to be thinking about and actually developing the processes, the systems, the SOPs, the operations, and the team so that they can begin to exit? I love this because, you know, you know, I have a five stage of a business from zero to one million because getting to the first million is the hardest thing you ever do. Oh, yeah. So much easier to grow after that. So much easier. But that first million and we have the five stages. So the dream up stage is zero to 50,000. And that's really just to get really clear on your messaging. Who are you going to help? What problems are you going to solve? And why does it matter? You know, that's when you could get that dialed in so that you can actually have clear conversations with the people that you want to work with. That's the most important thing. Then from 51 to 250K, it's the startup stage. The only thing really to focus on right then and there is to get your marketing and sales process in place, right? That's the one thing. Now, the biggest mistakes and what causes the most burnout is that most entrepreneurs get to 250. And they had some success in their business. And now they believe in order to get to a million, all they need to do is do more of what they've already done, what brought them success to that point. Okay, that's the biggest misconception. The truth is that not anything that you've done up to that point is going to bring you to a million dollars. You can literally not white knuckle and hustle your way to a million bucks. Every now and again, I come across a few entrepreneurs that manage to do that, and they are exhausted to say the least. Uh, but it's it's really hard. Let's just put it that way. It's very, very hard work. And it's a much easier way to do it. And I would think it would be very easy to lose what you had built if you try to do it that way too. Yes, absolutely. Like there's a moment where that's just all going to come tumbling down because you can't keep up with it anymore. Right. Yeah. Your business structure cannot sustain the growth. And this is when you are riding the cash flow roller coaster because you have spurts of growth that you muscled your way to. You hustle really, really hard to get to. And you had a spurt of growth, but it's not sustainable in your business. So very shortly, you're going to drop down to that sustainable level of that, that your business container can actually hold. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually that stretch of having the growth, like hustling to get the growth spur to then slowly getting back and then hustling to get the growth spur is actually what caused burnout more than anything else in the entrepreneurial space. Yeah, I believe that. Um, and, and you're right, because the next stage is the scale up stage, which is really all about systems. It's actually up leveling your systems and your business your business model to be able to sustain growth, 
So one of the questions I always ask is like, what would break first if you 10X overnight? Hmm. You know, what would break first? And when you really look at that, you know, most people said most CEOs that I work with go like, oh, me, you know, that's yeah. like, you know, I'll, I, there's no way I could keep going. And I remember this feeling when I was in my own business, there was a moment where, yes, I wanted my business to grow and I wanted, you know, to, to grow more, but it was also a part of me that like, oh, I didn't want any new clients because I didn't want to do any more work. Mm. I couldn't physically even contain it. And that was more in my subconscious, like buried a little bit, but that was the energy that I carried around you know, as I was in my business. And, and so you can, you even start kind of shutting down growth energetically uh, when you're getting to this point of burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say, but from, from zero to 250, my recommendation is to invest in group coaching programs and really getting really dialed in on messaging and marketing and sales. That's what you want to focus on. You want to go all in on that. You're testing a bunch of tactics. This is your testing ground. You're going to throw a lot of spaghetti on the wall and see what's going to stick. This is actually what this, this is trial and error phase. Mm -hmm. From 250 to 1 million, now you have a proven offer. You have a proven methodology. You figured out how to make it, make some sales. You built something. Now it's about how do I scale that up? How do I 10X this that I built now? And that requires you to then restructure the business model and obviously also figuring out how to take your intellectual property, your assets of how you do what it is that you do and how you deliver the results that you deliver and being able to systematize them in such a way that you can delegate it to somebody else that can replicate that work. Mm-hmm. And that what makes your business and your idea scalable. And that's what you focus on from 250 to 1 million. And, and that's, that's really our sweet spot. We, that's what we do routinely. We actually have a done for you business scaling service, but we actually step in and partner with business owners and really help them scale that, that, that framework up into something else. When you go into a company that's in that range of 250 to a million, let's say that they have documented nothing. They know it all in their head. Like I hear that a lot. Everything's in my head. You probably hear that too. It's like, We function here, but everything is in my head. So if somebody hasn't documented anything, how do you start? Like, what does it look like for you to start working with them? How do you pull it out of them so that you can create that? Because I can imagine for this person at that level, they're already feeling relatively overwhelmed. And then for them to know everything is in my head, I have nothing documented. That could be an overwhelming thought. Right. That's not overwhelming, but that thought is overwhelming. Yeah. So, so here's how, do really, you, how do you start with them? Yeah. So here's the really good news. CEOs are not supposed to write C- SOPs. Like I never had none of my <laughs> CEOs write any SOPs. Okay. This is not a good use of our time. Right. And so what we literally do, we step in and we create the structure to, to where the SOPs live, how they are accessible to the team, how we utilize them. We're creating how they should look what should be in them. We actually have SOPs, how to write SOPs. Yes, I know. Um, And then what we do is that we hire integrator into your business who owns the actual structure of your operational system and the SOPs. 
And then they then start training the new hires that we bring on board and they help. As we train the new hires, the new hires write the SOPs and actually help them reinforces the learning of figuring out what they're doing and what they're being asked to. And it's a really great way to see, are they retaining the training? Are they understanding it? So you can fine tune it and get it just right. And uh, we also break down all the job positions and build organizational chart. And then we have job descriptions for everybody on the, on the team. And that helps us identify what SOPs we need in the business. And so this is how we build it out. And, and it's not just one person writing the SOPs. It's everybody on the team writes it. Yeah, that's interesting, Madeline. So one of the things that I hear a lot of entrepreneurs at this phase and also million-dollar to multiple millions Mm -hmm. with team. Um, I hear this with almost every single person I work with. We have zero roles and responsibilities. It's one of the biggest problems that I see. There might be three people on a team, five people, seven people, 10 or 15. And everybody's just sort of like crossing over on everything. And then what I notice is the business owner has a really hard time even knowing who to hire next. Or what is the what do I start delegating over next to the new who the new hire is going to be? How important is it for you to have a an organizational chart, even starting at the two hundred fifty thousand dollar level, and being really clear on what the roles and responsibilities are of those team members? So important. So one of the biggest mistakes I see that people do with hiring is they don't have the systems in place. So just like us, the CEO, we need a team around us to be successful. Your team needs systems around them to be successful. Yes. Your team needs two different kinds of guardrails. One of the guardrails are the SOPs of how we do the things that we do. The other guardrail is the company culture. This is the stuff that oftentimes CEOs call common sense. You know, they think that we should be mind readers. We should, they should know your, your team should understand what's, what's expected of them. But we actually need to communicate that. And that's the other, that's the company culture that we develop of how we expect people to behave, how we want them to show up, how we keep accountability on the team, how we communicate on the team. Those are, you know, even how we dress, mm-hmm. right? That's, and those guardrails, the SOPs and the company culture becomes, the guardrails for the team. That means that team, once you have this in place, they're not just, you know, like a ping pong ball inside your company, flipping around, not knowing where to go. There's some, there's some structure here. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, having that structure in place. Now, the other thing that I see that so many CEOs make the mistake is when they hire somebody, they, the job description is like, you know, it really spans over five different departments and, you know, 15 roles, And they try to hire one person to do that one thing, you know, those 15 things. And this usually never works out very well because, you know, you you hire somebody to do to send out emails and be really meticulous with technology and and spell checking and editing. And and then you also want them to do graphic design for your social media. Like those are like so different skill set. It's very hard to find somebody that's good at both. And usually they fail at one or the other. So that's not a really big thing. So when you don't have job descriptions, what I call, we want deep and narrow job descriptions so that each team member, just like the CEO, should be working in their zone of genius. They should become experts in the one thing or the two things that they do for you. And they should just own that. 
And I also, I have, I have this thing, you know, when you're sitting around the dining room table with your family and somebody said, Hey, we really need to clean the garage. Who, who's going to, who ends up cleaning the garage? That's what I want to know. Nobody, right? nobody cleans the garage because you say we, we, the Royal, we means that it never gets done. So if you have any task in your business that more than one person owns, it basically never gets done or haphazardly gets done. So you, every task needs to be owned by somebody, even if it's sometimes they can ask for help from other team members and there's some cross training, that's great, but you want every single person to own it. And we want to have a really well-defined, even at 250K business, you want to plan the business structure for where you're going, not where you are right now. So you want to make sure that you have a business organizational chart and a strategic plan for how to expand your business model for however far you're planning on going down the line. So one of the, one of the arguments I hear, even from the seven figure earners, they're already there annually um, about hiring people for one specific role is they say, I can't afford to hire someone for operations, to be the program director, to be, you know, the director of marketing and the salesperson, we're just at a level where this one person is going to have to do these five roles because they can't afford it. I hear that a lot. What would you have to say to that person who is having that experience? Yeah. The challenge is that that people hire brains to do hands job. So let me explain. So most of the time, because you haven't broken down the actually how you get the results that you get in your business, you end up having to hire people that can strategically think through the problems. And those kind of people, what is what I call brains, they're strategic thinkers. You only need maybe one or two people on your team that are strategic thinkers, right? The rest of the team is hands. Those are the people who do the repetitive day-to-day tasks that needs to get done in your business. So most of the time, because you haven't figured out how to build out the systems, you hire brains to do hands jobs Mm. and you overpay for most of the roles in your business. That's a brilliant distinction. I love that. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That's happening in so many businesses and it's creating a lot of problems. Yeah. So when we step in and we evaluate the team and we see, right, I oftentimes, like we just did this recently in a multi-seven-figure business that we were working with. We hired 10 people over nine months for them. Um, We do full-on recruiting, done for you. Um, They're super happy with the results, but we replaced a multi-six-figure earner in the business, but he was doing some really like technical, really high-end building out a maintenance of their membership site. And at the same time, he was managing the tags and sending out the weekly newsletter. And I see this all the time. As the business grows, that one person was like never taught somebody else. Like he could have had, you know, what we ended up doing. We now have three VAs that does some of the hands task for a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, it totally, and we ended up saving $40,000 a month for that employer. That's significant. Uh, you know, right? And when you have, and so like the whole idea that you need to grow your business, like, you know, like I just was sharing about my own story of 
how I ended up working myself out of a job. Well, I had to hire people, right? So I literally double my team while I grew my profit margin to 65% and worked myself out of a job. Mm-hmm. So you can do it both. Mm-hmm. It's and or, but you just have to think about it from a different perspective. Yeah, I love this. You really do make CEOs' lives so much better, so much easier, along with their teams' lives, right? Because team members, what we're what you're talking about here, no team member wants to feel like they don't have a purpose or they're not doing a good job. They really don't. They really want to do an incredible job. They want to feel really confident. They want to feel like they have a purpose. And oftentimes I think the entrepreneur, when you're taught, when the way that you just described all of this and broke it down, the entrepreneur thinks that they have the wrong team member in place, or they start kind of poo-pooing on the team member because the team member isn't like thinking at the way they want them to think, but they've got them doing items that they really have no business doing. So I love the way you're breaking this down. Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you, reach out to you so that they can inquire about working with you and your team? Yeah, jump on to my Instagram account, Madeline Wyke Silva. Uh, click on to my link tree. You have all the links there. I have a really awesome scalability, uh, how to scale to freedom um, and really what that looks like and, and really helping you assess. We basically took our... Uh, VIP day where we do a deep dive assessment of five different areas of all of our clients' businesses. And we put it on to a virtual assessment that gives you a digital report, personalized report that really assess percentages in five areas, your financials, your business model, um, your systems and integration, and your team, uh, how to grow and expand your business, and also how to create more freedom for yourself. And it gives you a really kind of point of view of like, how close are you to breaking through to that next level? Yeah. Well, everybody needs Madeline in their lives if they want to break through to the next level without burning out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Madeline. We could just keep geeking out on topics just like this. Um, You and I think the same way about how a business owner business really needs to be structured behind the scenes so that can flourish and thrive and grow not just for the CEO, but for the team members, the people that we're employing and all the clients that we're going to serve. So it really does allow you to expand your reach and expand your impacts while simultaneously increasing your income. So I love what you do. And we're going to make sure we have all those links and how to find you in our show notes. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Megan. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.